Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Vivian Kelly. Joining me to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's senior media reporter, Hannah Blackiston. Hello. And reporter, Brittany Rigby. Hello. We're recording this podcast from Mumbrella's Finance Marketing Summit, where it would appear there are a few small children running around, coffees being made and private conversations happening. So you'll have to excuse us if there is some background noise, but we'll try and battle through. Coming up later, Hannah also sits down with former Pointless host and political satirist Mark Humphreys to talk about what went wrong with Pointless. But the biggest problem was time and just that there was not enough time to incorporate the comedy that I would have liked to and, in fact, the comedy that we filmed. Will political satire ever work on commercial networks? Oh, it's got to be roast chicken. And I said, what's that? And it's like, well, not too spicy, sort of something for the whole family. It's like, well, then you'll never make a political yeah. satire show. And would he try his hand at breakfast TV? If I could put my own spin on morning television, yes. Uh, if I could do all the advertorials as piss takes, yes. But first, this week's topics. MasterChef wraps up and loses its hosts. Australian Survivor is back. Seven's Olympics plan. And Foxtel gets in bed with Netflix. First up, as I'm sure everyone is aware, MasterChef wrapped up this week, but the grand final was overshadowed by an announcement from 10 that it would be parting ways with longtime hosts George Columbaris, Matt Preston and Gary Megan. The announcement came as George was hit with a $200,000 fine as a result of his restaurant businesses underpaying staff by nearly $8 million. It's important to note here that Ten said that the reason they're parting ways with the three men is because contract negotiations broke down and it's understood they wanted a far bigger pay packet than they were already getting, but it is definitely interesting timing. So to jump back first, Brittany, George has become a very contentious subject in recent weeks. What are the details around this fine and sort of what went wrong with his business? So he's been fined $200,000, which compare that to other punishments if you stole in other ways. Um, He blames the whole underpayment as a result of poor processes, which have been in place for years and have led to almost $8 million um, being underpaid to his staff. That $8 million is split across about 500 employees. So that's approximately $16,000 per person that's been underpaid to them. Um, yeah, he's saying that it's poor processes. I mean, it's his legal obligation to make sure that those processes are in place to ensure his workers get paid correctly. Like, that's a legal right to be made sure that you're being paid correctly. And that's what running a business is. Like, running a business is making sure that the processes that are complicated and hard and might require lawyers and might require some time and thinking get put in place. So, And I guess, Hannah, it became a really big PR problem for 10 in that George's restaurant businesses are separate from the MasterChef franchise, but George is sort of intrinsic in the MasterChef franchise. And 
those three judges are purportedly there to promote best practice and, you know, underpaying staff by $16,000 each is not best practice. They want to promote people getting into the industry. They want to show how fantastic it is. So to have him at the forefront of that brand had to be a PR battle for 10. Definitely. And to begin with, 10 uh, were definitely saying that they were supporting him. Um, They were backing him behind that. It was only a couple of days later that they said that the pay dispute had broken down. Um, But it's, it's, yeah, it's a tough one because it is hard to say whether it was just good timing or bad timing, depending on how you look at it, and whether this was just a chance to get rid of them or whether it really was a pay dispute. And we've both had conversations with people who have said that they had heard that the three judges were looking for somewhere, the figure generally lands around somewhere around a 40% increase on what they were already being paid. Um, So it is hard to tell. The three of them have also set up their own uh, production company prior to now. Um, So some people are thinking perhaps they're going to start shopping around what they've got. Um, They're also a lot bigger overseas than they are here. There are other countries that love the MasterChef format. So they could have a lot more chance overseas than they do here. It's interesting. We got an email this morning. Um, Jane Kennedy of uh, Triple M spoke with Matt Preston um, and she told co-host Mick Malloy this morning that she doesn't believe the issue is financial. And the way Matt was talking, she said Matt had said that they were a team, the three amigos, and that was the way it was always going to stay. So it is interesting, perhaps... 10 had decided they were going to get rid of George and then things went south from there, but I guess we'll probably never know. And I mean, the irony of the three of them effectively unionising for better pay (laughs) while old mate George is underpaying staff systemically. I mean, if Gary and Matt think that that is the best move for them, that's baffling because surely they've – They've stayed pretty okay throughout this. It's very much been George Columbaris has done this. This is why it's impacting the MasterChef brand and this is why it's bad for him to be one of the faces of that brand. Gary and Matt were kind of very separate to that. Them essentially collectivizing with him, showing solidarity and leaving the three of them um, is not great for them, I don't think. And it's it's now kind of a collective MasterChef versus the three of them. But think about it this way. It's been the three of them since the beginning of the show. This is the mm. 11th season. It's been the three of them since the very beginning. There's no denying they've got great on-screen chemistry. They've obviously got a little, you know, thing that happens between the three of them where one person plays one role and one person plays another role. I can kind of see from their point of view that perhaps Matt and Gary thought, okay, if we let George leave, they're going to put in somebody else. If the show tanks after that, they're the idiots that stayed with the show. They've kind of left on a high. The season obviously hasn't done as well as other seasons have, but it's still pulling fairly good numbers. Maybe they honestly thought taking this risk is better than sitting here waiting for the show to tank or sitting here and waiting for things to go belly up. Maybe it was honestly the best option they could see. Opinion seems to be quite split on whether or not these three are intrinsic to the MasterChef brand. Mm. So there's one school of thought that, you know, is claiming this is top gear all over again. The hosts are the show. The show is the host. You can't separate them. Without Gary, Matt and George, MasterChef is going to tank. And then there are people that think, no, no, it's about the contestants, it's about the food, it's about the challenges. And if you get the casting right next year in 2020, then 10 and MasterChef will be fine. Brittany, which school of thought do you subscribe to? Do you think MasterChef 
as a brand can survive without those three at the helm? I do. And I think that fundamentally what MasterChef is about is the food industry, is about the cooking, the chefs, the restaurant, the dining setup, the whole experience of going to a really nice restaurant and eating a really good meal. The fact that one of the judges that's been with it for 11 years is profiting off that whole model and is becoming super successful off of those experiences while underpaying staff huge amounts of money is totally inconsistent with the idea of MasterChef, which is to mentor and coach and bring through the ranks upcoming chefs. I think that regardless of if um, Gary and Matt had have left with George, it's a, a situation that required Ten to really rethink the hosting panel. And I think that bringing in new chefs, new energy is, is what the brand needs. I mean, as Hannah said, it's been 11 years regardless of all of this, was the Gary, Matt and George show kind of on its last legs anyway? Hannah, what do you think? Was it on its last legs or do we do we need the three men there? <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> um, I actually do disagree. Um, I'm a bit of a diehard MasterChef watcher um, and I texted my mum last night who has apparently been living under a rock and was not aware and she did reply with, won't be watching it now. And I strongly suspect that in the mum demographic, there's going to be a real push towards that. I think 10 have got an upward battle on their hands. I don't think it's impossible. I think they could completely rebrand MasterChef with three new, you know, uh, probably more diverse hosts and could still have a hit on their hands. But I do think if we look at how intrinsically the MasterChef branding in Australia is linked to the three of them, I think 10 have got a real struggle on their hands. Speaking of 10, up next, Australian Survivor is back. Australian Survivor is back, launching this week with 807,000 overnight Metro viewers, which is the biggest launch figure the show has ever pulled for 10. Hannah, in addition to being a Super MasterChef fan, you're also a Super Survivor fan. She's just a Channel 10 fan. (laughs) So... They've brought back the Champions versus Contenders format again. You obviously watched the episode. I did not. Uh, Do you think it it works? I was so excited to watch the first episode. I accidentally forgot that I had something in the oven and (laughs) burnt it because I was too excited. It did work. You would not work on MasterChef, Anna. (laughs) (laughs) She would. It would be great content. (laughs) I wouldn't anyway. I swear too much. Um, But, yes, I was really excited to watch it. I was a little – when they announced they were doing uh, Champions vs. Contenders again, despite loving last season, I was a little bit concerned that maybe it would be a bit tired the second time around. But they're kind of crushing it. Um, I think – it's really telling that the show is building its audience. Um, it's kind of backs what 10 are actually pretty good at, which is giving shows time to build a bit of an audience and also giving uh, shows kind of 
playing around with formats a little bit and giving shows kind of some space to breathe and some space to find what works for them. I also think it answers a really important question that was kind of hovering over 10, and that's whether viewers were going to switch over because we've seen nine dominate the first half this year in that primetime slot. And so I think there was a bit of a concern that 10 would come in with their, after MasterChef obviously, but would come in with their flagship entertainment and viewers just wouldn't switch over. As in they're not even sort of aware that it's on because they're not watching yeah. 10 and they're not seeing the ads. And Yeah, and this is what we hear time and time again of the danger of not starting the year strong is that you can just continue coasting because nobody is watching your channel. Yeah, I guess it's a bit like why Breakfast Radio and breakfast TV can be seen to be so important because, mm. you know, the argument goes that if you're listening to Kyle and Jackie O, Kiss FM in Sydney on your way to work, when you jump back in the car in the afternoon, it's going to be on 106.5. So inherent human laziness means you might just leave it there and listen to Will and Woody in the afternoon or whatever it may be. I think people still think about that in the way of television that, oh, well, if you've got it on seven, you might just keep it on seven or if you've got it on nine, you might just keep it on nine. But I guess that Survivor's success here does sort of show that people will switch over for for certain content, you know, not not necessarily for celebrity name game, but they'll switch <laughs> over for Australian Survivor. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think it is probably also worth noting that um, 10 have chosen to bring Survivor back or chose to premiere it on a Wednesday. Next week, they're choosing to premiere Bachelor on a Wednesday. Wednesday is a very quiet night in TV. Nobody else is putting their big flagship shows on the Wednesday. So maybe there was a little bit of strategy in that. Um, But they got the result they wanted. It was a good night for 10, which they have had few and far between this year. So all power to them. And it tops the key advertising demographics as well, didn't it? Of those yeah, aged 16 to 39, 18 to 49 and 25 to 54. And 10 does like to say that it plays in the under 50s space. So even though, you know, there were other high rating programs such as ABC's Arns Brush with Fame, I suspect that the demos there are skewed much older and, and 10 wants that under 50s and it looks like they've got it this time around. Yeah, definitely. Up next... A year to go, Seven reveals its plans for the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. So with a year to go, Seven has launched its Olympics coverage for the 2020 Tokyo Games. They've made some pretty lofty promises, including up to 40 streams of each sport, 20 million broadcast viewers and eight channels covering the content. Hannah, what else are they promising? So they are promising it will be the most watched games ever. So they've launched a 24-7 channel, Olympic channel, which is at the moment covering historical footage. That's on 7 Plus. So that's just one of the channels that's going to be covering it. What they've kind of got on their side here is it's the first time since the 2000 Sydney Olympics that it's going to be in a really good time zone. Tokyo is only one hour different from Australian Eastern Standard Time. So that means they're going to be able to put this stuff on during prime time, which considering how well sport has already been doing this year, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if the Olympics can carry that. Yeah, the line from Seven speaking of prime time is that it's going to be prime time all the time uh, and that during that two weeks of the Olympic Games in 2020, they're saying it's going to be like grand final day every day because it's such a convenient time for Australians to watch. And I understand they also are seeking some enormous, enormous 
audience shares. So I've heard whispers that they think they're going to get 60% of the commercial free-to-air audience share. So that does exclude ABC and SBS. So if you're looking at who's watching 10, 9 and 7 during the 2020 Olympics, 7 says that it could have 60% of that audience. Now, I assume they mean on a network basis because, as you say, they're going to have stuff across the multi-channels and I know that they'll also be pushing their digital views as well because they are sort of seeking around 5 million viewers on their digital broadcast platforms, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And it's interesting. They've also got on their side, um, we're seeing the addition of a couple of different sports for this Summer Olympics. Um, Freestyle BMX is in there. Um, I believe uh, surfing and skateboarding have also are also both going to make their debuts. So those what those are kind of sports that skew towards a younger audience, which I think maybe is helping Seven as well. The fact that they're offering this across um, their digital platform so much, which is probably also going to skew a bit younger, they've got a pretty good chance here of bringing in a lot younger audiences. I would say perhaps traditionally the Olympic audience isn't that young, but maybe with these new sports they might see a bit more success in that area. I've just been doing some Googling while you've been talking. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I enthrall you so much. Well, I just wanted to see what other sports might be making their debut and I've come across some great headlines about breakdancing. No, yeah, that's for, that's for Paris. That. that is for Paris oh, 2024, guys. I'm yeah. already all across that story. Breakdancing said to make debut at a, <laughs> as Olympic sport at Paris 2024. Set your watches. Yeah, wow. What a, what a countdown. <laughs> Brittany, would you watch breakdancing at the 2024 Olympics? Um, no. <laughs> I would, I would, however, watch Hannah breakdancing. Oh. So <laughs> nobody else would. <laughs> up next, Foxtel redesigns its platform and snuggles up with Netflix. This week, Foxtel has unveiled a new layout, increased on-demand content and a partnership with Netflix for its next update. In an event earlier this week, CEO Patrick Delaney called it the new Foxtel experience and said it was able to offer the best in TV and on-demand in one place. Patrick Delaney on stage was incredibly enthusiastic about these changes. Honestly, it was so much enthusiasm coming from that man about the new Foxtel and really strong language used as well. You know, he was talking about it being a revolution and he almost seemed to give the vibe that Foxtel has finally done what it's been wanting to do for a long time. So it was a bit of like Patrick Delaney inception in that he was on stage talking and he had an image behind him of him on stage talking in 2005 and he was talking about how back in 2005 they wanted to have better on-demand services and content and an interface but he sort of said Australia's internet just couldn't keep up with Foxtel's vision and Foxtel's idea of what the subscription TV viewing experience should be like. Gosh, 14 years later, they've <laughs> they've finally done it. Uh, Hannah, Patrick seems to think this is really innovative. What was your sense of, of this relaunch and if it is innovative and revolutionary and 2019 worthy? I would say it's revolutionary for Foxtel just in the way that they've had a very traditional um, 
kind of program guide, a very traditional setup before now. The new setup, which is going to start rolling out, um, it looks a lot more like we're probably used to on streaming services. It's a lot more of that easy scroll and just keep scrolling stuff. They're starting to do suggested content, which sites like Netflix have been doing for a while. Um, so basically, Foxtel is kind of emulating a streaming service here, which goes in line with them also partnering up with Netflix. So it's Foxtel and Netflix content side by side. Um, whether I would use the term revolutionary, I'm not sure. Um, perhaps inside the what can be fairly outdated subscription TV model, it might be revolutionary. But I think in terms of where things have already gone for TV streaming, it might not be that revolutionary. So the three pillars of the new Foxtel experience are the new interface, which Hannah, you've you've mentioned. They're saying way more on-demand content and also this partnership with Netflix, which includes a Netflix button on the remote control. And as you say, footage, well, not footage, but programs side by side within that interface. So you can jump between them more easily. Patrick was really keen to spruik the benefits of this saying you know you don't have to change your tv input you don't have to jump from foxtel to netflix you don't have to project from your laptop onto the screen or however you interact with the the netflix platform he was sort of suggesting that's a huge problem for consumers and they find it really really annoying but now hey you can just do it all in one place and for $58 a month you can have Foxtel and the new Foxtel experience and for six months you'll get Netflix for free. Brittany, I'm not sure what your TV viewing habits are, but do you do you find it so annoying to jump between different platforms that you need it all in one place? No. Um, <laughs> I have Stan and Netflix and then also use the BVOD services like Nine Now. ABC iView, um, etc. It's fine. Like they all just have an app on your phone, and you scroll through Netflix. And if nothing's catching your interest, you jump onto Stan. Um, we have a smart TV, so Netflix is also available through the TV anyway. Um, so the way that we watch is either Chromecasting from the phone to the TV, or just doing it directly through the TV, or asking Google Home, "Hey Google, play X." Um, so super easy. I don't think that adding it all in one place is something that I would be sort of captured by, particularly as someone who isn't already a Foxtel subscriber. And I rarely wish that this was a visual medium, but I think today I do because I just can't explain how much Hannah is gesticulating and wanting to talk uh, about about this. Hannah, I, I feel like you have some feelings about the sheer inconvenience of jumping between platforms and how Foxtel have solved your greatest woe. I really do. Let's find out how polite I was for not interrupting everybody. Also, Brittany, I'm really concerned about your inclusion of Google Home there, but we'll skip past that. Um, I just don't know who these people out there are that people keep telling us are having issues switching between all these different apps. Is it the your, 65-year-old Foxtel subscriber? No, it isn't because my mum is in that bracket. And even you can't my mum, use your mum as an example I know I for can't, everything. But how many other 65-year-olds <laughs> do, do I have? the consumer. <laughs> we'll get her on the podcast, guys. Um, your phone is your remote now. Yeah, 100%. And you just switch between apps on your phone. And when you're Chromecasting, there's no problems you just press the little button and it moves you between as Brittany said if you've got a smart tv your tv does it all for you I just 
don't know who it is that's out there saying, okay, yep, I want to pay $60 for Foxtel, plus I want to pay 10 or $14 for Netflix as well on top of that, just for the convenience of having them in the same platform. If Honestly, I'm ready to be proven wrong. If someone can put somebody in front of me who's like, that's the convenience my life has been desperately missing, then I'm ready for it. But I would challenge anyone that I don't think that person exists in 2019. I mean, you were both at the Foxtel event. Read a story earlier this week about Foxtel subscribers dropping out left, right and centre, people negotiating deals in order for them to keep their subscriptions. Do you think this is about people who already have subscriptions that aren't happy with it, sticking with that subscription and being like, uh, okay, maybe the convenience is worth it? Or is it being sold as a way to attract new people to Foxtel? Well, look, Patrick on stage said that Foxtel has 1.1 million set-top boxes out there in Australian households and this update will be rolled out. That's a massive project. He said they're starting now with the first 50,000 and I guess somehow we'll get from 50,000 to 1.1 million. So I think it is partly a retention thing in that often some of the marketing challenges that Foxtel has faced is that they'll come out with a great new deal and existing customers will feel ripped off because they'll think, well, hold on, I've been with you for 15 years and Mm. you haven't given me this fantastic deal and then they're not actually allowed to get it. And so Mm. they feel like, well, you've put so much effort into marketing to new people. What about me? So Patrick was very keen to stress this is also for existing customers. Existing customers can get new, the new offering and free Netflix as long as they sign a 12-month contract with us again. So it's definitely a a retention move. Mm. But for example, I do wonder how it will work because I don't have Foxtel anymore, but I have Netflix. So if I'm going to get free Netflix for a while, you know, I, I wonder about the logistics of it. And then if I keep Foxtel but don't keep Netflix, will it be really frustrating having that content side by side and not actually being able to access it and I'm, I'm just not sure that as as Hannah said like whether it actually will be as convenient as Foxtel thinks it will be or if people would rather exist in the Netflix landscape in Netflix and exist in the Foxtel landscape in Foxtel mm. rather than having it all mingled together. It's worth noting as well I spoke with um, Foxtel's Jane Eastgate earlier this year um, she's the chief data and analytics officer who they recently brought on board and she did highlight that Um, cutting back on churn is one of the major issues Foxtel's got at the moment. So maybe you're right. Maybe this is just a, you know, stay with us. We've got some cool stuff rolling out. Um, And there's no denying that the interface is a lot better than what Foxtel has had previously and, you know, all that sort of thing. But, yeah, I don't know. You also kind of wonder where does this put them? There's a lot of whispers that with the success of KO, they're looking at perhaps a lifestyle streaming platform. Where does it put them if they're looking to move into streaming themselves? Where does that put them if they've got to deal with Netflix? And again, it's been raised time and time again. It's going to be a time when HBO is going to pull that content from Foxtel, which is a lot of what they've got to offer is that exclusive HBO content. When that happens, is them being in bed with Netflix going to be a big enough pull to keep you on their platform? Well, I guess we'll find out, but it is getting incredibly noisy here and I'm (laughs) conscious that Brittany has to get up on stage at Mumbrella's Finance Marketing Summit in a matter of minutes. So we might leave it there for this week, but up next, Hannah sits down with Mark Humphreys to talk about Pointless's demise and what he thinks Australian audiences really want from that 6pm evening slot on TV. 
Mumbrella's Hannah Blackiston, and I'm joined with Mark Humphreys. And we thought what we might do is get you to introduce yourself, Mark. So do you want to tell me what it is you're up to at the moment and where people will know you from? Sure. I am Mark Humphreys. I'm Australia's fourth or fifth favourite satirist. Uh, I can be seen fortnightly on uh, ABC's 730 uh, making political sketches. Uh, Prior to that, I used to make sketches of the same nature for SBS's The Feed. Uh, I was the host of uh, Channel 10's uh, Pointless uh, quiz show, uh, for 184 episodes, <laughs> uh, but who's counting? Uh, and I was the uh, I'm the former president of the UTS Disco Society. <laughs> I think that's where most people know me from. Yeah, I think yeah. that'll be it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I wanted to get started on Pointless. Um. As you kind of touched on there, it's not currently on the air, but it did run for 184 episodes, which is only two seasons. And it's funny when you look at um. I was writing a story about Sea Change, which is about to come back. Mm. That did three or four seasons and only did like say forty episodes. One hundred. So you're saying that we were more successful than Sea Change? I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> 184 is a lot of episodes, yeah. and you kind of leapt into it pretty quickly. There yeah. was a, some sort of Twitter campaign. Yes. So, uh, yeah, a couple of things there. I mean, yes, in terms of this, the, the quantity, I mean, yeah, you, you, you we're filming five episodes a day, which was, you know, a completely new experience for me. And, uh, you know, ultimately you, you kind of work out how to do it. And the, the answer is Barocca. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yes, that's certainly – that's how you, you manage to churn them out. But, yes, I, just the backstory for people who don't know is that I – yeah, you know, it's pointless. Was a British quiz show airing on the ABC, which I and I, you know, still maintain. I think the best quiz show out there. I think the concept is so strong. I just it was sort of the reverse Family Feud, for, you know, picking the most obscure answer, and uh, I loved it. I just loved it, and so I can't remember when it was now. But I guess it was a couple of years ago that I just tweeted. Oh, if they ever make an Australian version of Pointless, I'd, I'd love to host it. And then, uh, and I actually, and I went on Radio National and I said the same thing, actually. Uh, someone later reminded me. Uh, and so then fast forward a couple of years and Channel 10 announces that they are going to make an Australian version of Pointless. And I, you know, semi-jokingly said, oh, you know, offer still stands at Channel 10, at Endemolshine <laughs> AU. I did my research, of, you know, which production company it was going to be. But... Uh, you know, genuinely didn't expect anything to come from it. I remember being in France uh, on holiday and seeing an article about saying, oh, Chris Bath for Pointless. And I was just like, oh, okay. Uh, I guess that's what's happening. And But as it happened, I one day got a a, a message at the feed to call uh, a number uh, about – I think they were trying. I think they didn't want to let on what it was straight away. So they said, "Can you?" It's someone from Gogglebox. Is what, we, <laughs> is what I was told. I was like, and then I was like, Gogglebox. Why would they be calling? And I looked up the production company. Endemol Shine. My, <laughs> could it be? And so I called the number, and it was David McDonald, who um, wonderful producer, and he's he's also behind Lego Masters at the moment, and a bunch of other things. So anyway. And he said, oh, I've, I've got this, uh, I've got this tweet here, uh, that says you'd be interested in hosting pointless. Are you, sorry, was that genuine or are you being satirical? Said, no, 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 genuine. I really, really do love the show. And we had a, I don't know, a 10 minute phone conversation where I think it probably came across that I really did know the show well yeah. and was quite passionate about it. And I was, you know, and I, I already started, you know, I was like, you know, would you be interested in, 
would you be interested in coming in for an audition? And I was like, yeah, but only if you keep the prize money really low. That's very important to me. I don't <laughs> want this to be a high prize money show. So I was, you know, I think the fact that he, you know, that I was aware of certain things like that, mm. you know, oh, I want to make, please make sure that the laptop on the table uh, doesn't actually do anything. I make sure it <laughs> serves no real function. So, uh, and yeah, and, and he said to me at the time, do you imagine yourself as the host or as the, the sidekick, and I said, I always, I, if, I mean, in my fantasy, I imagined the sidekick. Uh, I, I didn't see myself as a as a host. Um, uh, so I, I, he said, Oh yeah, no, I think I think that 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 feels right. So we'll have you come in and, and, and audition as the as the as the sidekick. So I went along to. Uh, so I don't know if I'm boring you with too much. No, detail. no, it's good. Went along to a hotel conference room and uh, where they set up a kind of makeshift version of Pointless <laughs> with, uh, you know, butcher's paper and uh, a little a little sort of spinning wheel and things. And, uh, yeah, and then I was tested as, as co-host and, and then... Then they said, "Oh, Mark, let's just let's just get you up and just see what it looks like if you with you as as host." And so I, I did that, and it was I was so absurdly relaxed because they're not going to give it yeah. to this guy <laughs> from SBS Viceland, you know, like <laughs> making two minute sketches. So it was there was just great comfort in going. This will be a good story, uh, and so I just had fun with it. And uh, when that ended, I remember saying goodbye to everyone, like, I'll never see you again. Uh, <laughs> bye. Thank you for having me. That was tremendous. And uh, in fact, one guy, <laughs> I was like, I don't think we're going to see each other again, but I get the sense that you and I, uh, uh, it, it was something that he, he, he had to answer. Because like, basically the production staff had to pretend to be contestants. And there was one question about, mu- um, about I think, Les Miserables. And I'm a big musicals guy. And the guy gave an answer that told me that he was a big musical guy as well. I was just like, look, I'm never going to see you again. Can, can, can we be friends? I feel like we'd be good <laughs> friends. And so anyway, we have, we have become good friends. But I didn't think I'd see them again. Fast forward, uh, I don't know, a week or two, and then I get another phone call, which I'm expecting to be. Oh, thanks so much. It was lovely if you came in, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, Channel 10 would like to see you on the set. And I was like, <laughs> sure, they're welcome to it. Uh, and so I rocked up and I auditioned again. And I auditioned, auditioned with a few, with a couple of different um, partners. And, um, but I also I, I also had something I had to do for I used to do a weekly segment for ABC's The World and I, I basically said to Tan look I actually don't really have time to do this full audition <laughs> because I didn't they weren't going to give it to me so it's like I, I I'm not going to like the the world was a paid gig yeah. like auditions is, is is not so I was like I've got to I've got to leave at you know seven or something um, and so when I auditioned with Andrew Rochford we didn't even get through a whole episode I think we only got through two segments. And Andrew tells a story that I didn't even say goodbye. I just raced <laughs> out of the raced out of the building. And just as I was jumping out of the, the building, I heard this voice behind me, Andrew, going, bye. I'm like, oh, sorry. Uh, lovely to meet you. Uh, good luck with everything. Uh, I'll never see you again. And I went and did the other thing. And then, yeah, and then I got a call saying um, – then I got a call saying, oh, how quick – theoretically, if you got this, how quickly could you leave the SBS? And I was like, well, I, I actually have already given them my notice uh, unrelated. I, I was decided – my writing partner and I decided we wanted to take some – to take a break uh, from from the writing. And uh, so I said, well, theoretically, I guess relatively quickly, but, uh, yeah, cross that bridge when we come to it. And then, yes, and they, they called up and said, yeah, yeah, you, you've, you've got the gig. Uh, can you start 
like <laughs> something like can you start Tuesday? And at that point it was like Friday or something, or maybe it was Saturday, I can't remember. And so I called my boss at the feed. I was technically it was I was supposed to do a whole week of segments and I called my boss and he uh, Mike Clay, who was wonderfully understanding. I was like, Mike, I wouldn't ask this normally, but some freakish thing had happened. <laughs> can you let me out of my contract four days early? And uh, he said, yeah, no, that's, that, that's fine. So I did my last sketch, I think, on the Monday. And then I, you know, 9 a.m. on Tuesday, I'm suddenly, I've got my own dressing room and someone asking <laughs> me, you know, do you like your water cold or room temperature? I don't, I don't know. I never thought about it. Oh, no, we didn't ask that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's cold, apparently, just so you know, <laughs> listeners. And then you got to set, discovered you were with Andrew Rochford and yes. really felt bad for not saying goodbye to him. I felt, exactly. So yeah. he, he brings it up at every, every possible <laughs> occasion. Hello, Andrew, I should just say now. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that was the other crazy thing is that Andrew and I had had so little time mm. together before we suddenly, you know, suddenly we're doing promotional photos and having to record little, like record the promo and we haven't even recorded an episode and... Uh, the sh- some of the kinks of the show were still being worked out. Like because they had taken a forty-five minute format yeah. and condensed it to twenty-two minutes, it meant you know whole chunks of it had to had to go. And they were still working that out when I got there. And because I think the first couple sort of run-throughs we did went way over time, so I was like, okay, we need to cut around. Or yeah, so it was it was really hectic because I think if memory serves, I think it was like there was that first week of yeah, doing those sorts of things. And then I think we were filming real episodes the, the following week. And so it was, uh, yeah, straight into the into the deep end. Mm. And how much um, leverage did they let you have in regards to the script? I, I mean, ultimately, they were ultimately quite a lot. Um, but I, I think if I have any regrets, one is that I didn't feel confident coming in and putting my spin on things mm. straight away. I just, it didn't... I just really felt like a nobody and uh, this was an established format and I, so I kind of didn't want to rock the boat or anything. Mm. Uh, it was only as I got more comfortable that I, I was like, that I kind of pushed for more, yeah, to kind of toy around with the introductions and, you know, maybe, oh, actually, but actually in fairness, it was, it was uh, a producer, Margie Bashfield, who said, because on the British version, it's always like, and this is my pointless friend, mm. Richard Osman. And I think we did that for the first couple of weeks or so. And it was Margie Bashfield who said, why don't you why don't you mix it up and say something else? And so then that became a thing of like, right, I've got to have a different one every time. And that, then that became an albatross. That became <laughs> complete sure. But, the, uh, but it, was, it was, you know, I do enjoy the sort of creative challenge of, of, of that. And then at a certain point I was like, oh, maybe I won't just say hello, welcome to Pointless. What if I... I can't remember the things I said now. But, you know, things like, uh, hello, uh, you know, thank you for letting me in your home. Mind, off if, mind if I take off my shoes and pants? Um, <laughs> those sorts of things. So, yeah. So, they were ultimately they – were, they were very good about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the biggest problem was time and just that there was not enough time to incorporate the comedy that I would have liked to. And, in fact, the comedy that we filmed, it was just – it was so tight, and there's no one's. Yeah, you know, it just it was just an, an inevitability of of condensing that format. Do you? I'm not sure what the legalities behind this are, but if the show was to get picked up elsewhere, maybe the format got lengthened, maybe go to another channel, could it work in this market? Do you think? I I, I believe in the show so strongly that I, I, I yeah my, I would say yes. Mm. Um, I, I think 
I do wonder, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it never could have worked on 10. I mean, maybe it could have worked with other people. I'm absolutely, you know, I'm not saying that I was, you know, brilliant and no one <laughs> could recognize my extraordinary talent, although that happens to be true. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, it, it, may, it may well have worked on 10. Um, but I know that in terms of the, 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 the diehard pointless fans who were already coming to the show from the British version, the biggest complaint I got was about how it had been cut down. Mm-hmm. So... I would have loved I would have loved ten to maybe even you know put us on at nine o'clock or something yeah. you know I, 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 that was something that I know that we had been sort of hoped for that maybe because also you know I've got a when it came to filming like I've got a very kind of I don't know blankety blanks style to things and so sometimes I like to push it a little bit yeah. outside of the. 6 p.m. family time slot. So, uh, but anyway, that, I think it could work. But the, you know, I think that what would have made the most sense was if the ABC had done it in the first place. Um, but I, I might be wrong about this and I'm open to being corrected. I, I think I get the impression the ABC can't give money away on quiz shows or, or has made a choice not mm. to. Um, hard quiz they don't you know there's no money involved and so if there's no money that show doesn't work yeah because what is the final round yeah for if not to take to win that jackpot and you know there's the rollover element so yeah so i think that would have been a problem as well but yeah I, i'll never know I'll, I'll, I'll never know <laughs> unless i kind of you know years from now try and relaunch it myself and force it down some <laughs> network's throat if you relaunch it in a week and you didn't tell us here i'll be very upset yeah. I'll, I'll, launch my, I'll, I'll, I'll launch my own streaming service yes but, yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting because that 6 p.m slot has been a notoriously tough one for 10 mm. um obviously family feud currently yeah. occupied by a celebrity name game um it's that half hour slot which they seem to really want to shove a quiz show into. Um, they're up against news on other channels. Mm. What do you reckon, this is obviously a wild speculation, but what do you reckon that slot needs? Well, uh, I have heard, I had heard Channel, I, I remember someone from Channel 10, I think going on Sky and talking about that maybe there was something inherently weird about having an hour of news from five till six then a quiz show, and then going back to a news show. Mm. So whether there was some way that you actually brought those elements together rather than having them be cut up. But that said, I know that, I can't remember when it was, 2010 or 2011, that Channel 10 had had a 6 p.m. news. Was it with George Negus or mm. something like that? So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it might be a case of bringing those two things together. Alternately, because there, I don't think there was a lot of overlap between the Family Feud base and the Pointless base. You get Grant Denyer, me, and Andrew Rochford. <laughs> all right, we call it three men in a quiz show. I don't know what the premise is. I think the idea is that you have to get guess the most obvious answer and the least obvious answer. So yep. get get your Family Feud and your Pointless fans, and we'll go from there. So that's my pitch. Uh, but Perfect. to answer your question, I don't know. <laughs> and Grant Denyer would come up to approximately your waist, so it would just be. Perfect. I'm not allowed to make those jokes, but uh, he's, he's, he's welcome to. <laughs> uh, so let's pivot now and talk about uh, the other side of your career, um, which is politicus, political satire, which you've been in for a long time at this point, uh, six and seven years? Yeah, about seven years, there. yeah. Um, so a lot of that has been on ABC and SBS. Obviously, at the moment, you're working with 7.30. Before that was the feed. Do you think the political satire thing can work on the three big commercial networks or does it need to kind of live over there in ABC and SBS? Hmm. Um, 
I I want to believe that it could. I'm I'm certainly open to it. Uh, yeah, I think and it, and re- truth be told, if anyone could do it, I think Ten could do it. I think mm. Ten is the as far as the commercial networks are concerned. I really do applaud Ten for their. Um, you know they do take chances on things, and they, 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 it, it, I think the most exciting formats and ideas come from a commercial standpoint tend to come from ten. So I feel like they they just they've still got that slight underdog feel to them mm. that I think um, that they could they could make that work, and they have satirical elements incorporated into the project from time to time, which do which do really well. So um, yeah, I think it, I think it could could happen. I can't see it at seven or nine. I'd mm. love to be proven wrong. Um, I once worked on a pilot for a satirical thing at seven, and I remember the note. This was years ago, and it was. I just remember this note, which is so. It, I think this summed up why it would never work, which was anything that was kind of had a bit of like bite to it. The note was like, "Oh, it's got to be roast chicken," and I said, "What's that?" And it's like, "Well, not too spicy, sort of something for the whole family." And it's like, "Well, then you'll never make a political yeah. satire show." Uh, so, so if they can, you know, maybe get into like. Hot wings or something else <laughs> beyond roast chicken, then yeah, then then it, then it could work. But yes, the ABC and SBS also because they don't have, well, especially ABC isn't tied to any kind of commercial interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're free to kind of, can I say, shit on a few more things. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think though the reason those commercial networks won't touch it is because are they underestimating consumers? Do you think? Do you think they think oh our viewers? You know, our viewers want roast chicken, and maybe they don't. Maybe it's just they don't want to take the chance in case that's correct. Yeah, I think occasionally, you know, I don't blame people for being risk averse. There's no, I think also that's that problem where there's no kind of track record. Like, mm. um, they think this is the big problem with scripted comedy broadly at the commercial networks is because they stopped doing it. There, there was no sort of business model for it. They couldn't kind of point to things and say, well, that works. So mm. every time a scripted comedy show, you know, once in a blue moon pops up now on their commercials, I know I'm not alone in praying for its success so that the other networks can then go, oh, you know what? People do actually want to see, you know, scripted comedy. Because to me, it's baffling just on the scripted standpoint. You know, Young Sheldon and Big Bang Theory, these are scripted comedy shows that do incredible numbers. I don't believe there's really any reason for Australian ones not to be able to resonate the way that they used to, uh, you know, back in the in the 90s but yeah i think it's sad the abc has to be sort of the has has to lead the charge in 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 that way um but uh but you take something like tonightly i mean this is uh, it's it's interesting like i think from a tv from a network standpoint you you look at something like tonightly and go well the ratings would you know why would we want to put something on air that only had you know whatever the figures were for tonightly but then it's that thing where it's, but if you online figures mm. astronomical so uh if you can work out that business model that you know taps into the online shareability then uh you know then i think absolutely there's room for it on the commercial networks but if you're just looking at it from a pure traditional tune in at this time to watch something well, I mean, uh, I'm now going to contradict myself again. <laughs> Have you been paying attention? It's yeah. a news comedy show on some level. And it's, I think, arguably 10's, you know, it's one of the 10's most popular programs. Um, yeah, the interesting thing about Have You Been Paying Attention is that they had to give it a chance. So when it, mm. you know, it took quite a few seasons for that to really gain legs, it got moved into a later slot, moved back into an earlier slot, got yeah. extended. So 
maybe that's the issue. Maybe the fact is that 10, as you said, 10 have still got that kind of, um, are still willing to take chances on shows like that and still willing to kind of give them the room to breathe that maybe they need to find their correct spot. Yeah. I mean, I w- you know, truth be told, I wish they'd done that with us. But uh, yeah. the, uh, um, I mean, I just, sorry, that sounds bitchy. I just mean in the <laughs> sense of maybe six wasn't the right yeah. time for us and maybe it, it would have been, I would have loved to have yeah, seen it in a longer longer format. Um, but I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. <laughs> I tell myself. <laughs> um, so I also wanted to get your thoughts on, we recently saw a study from the University of Canberra, um, the Digital News Report, which kind of showed that Australians aren't really engaging with political reporting anymore or whether they ever were. And people have kind of been saying, oh, it's because the 24-hour news cycle in this country means that any politician who will fill 10 minutes is getting brought onto the news to talk about literally anything and then we saw yesterday the Australian was reporting that the Today Show has just put Pauline Hanson on a contract to come on fortnightly and have her views on things. How does that kind of thing? How does that kind of thing make you feel? Do you think we're doing political reporting wrong? Um, and obviously, I should say that I'm talking quite broadly, but I do mean kind of in commercial sure. spaces. I mean, I think I mean that's so that's that's commentary as opposed to political reporting i think in terms of pauline so i'm using a first name as if i know um <laughs> my best mate Paul the, yeah, sure uh look that the hansen thing i hesitate to say this because i'll get messages um is I, I remember being really annoyed when she was out of no sorry <laughs> when i was happy when she was out of politics while during that period i was annoyed by the sort of um TV makeover she went mm. underwent through Dancing with the Stars and, and, and various other TV appearances. Oh, my gosh, I'd forgotten she did Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, and I think that sort of um, rehabilitated her to some extent and made her palatable again to a lot of people and kept her prominent. And so uh, that's sort of where the root of the problem is for me was what happened in that, in that period there. Uh, the one thing that I've read... The only thing that I would say that if there is some slight sliver of a, of a silver lining to this business is my understanding is that Pauline Hanson gives her uh, contributions to charity for those appearances. That's the only thing I'm saying as a <laughs> slight positive on that. Um, I do think it's weird that we have federal senators going on and um, – because those segments aren't necessarily always political. I think there's – No, that's true. It's, it's really any commentary. Yeah, so I find that – Odd. I mean, that whole world is difficult. Being being a commentator is. I mean, I did I did Studio Ten a couple of times, and I found it really hard because I just don't have opinions on everything. Mm. Uh, I think people like. I think actually that whole team, people like Sarah Harris and Joe Hildebrand, um, they're really good at um, being able to you know have an opinion on things, and inevitably you know people are going to disagree with those opinions. But so yeah, not 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 fond of those little politician pop ups. Um, as far as political reporting itself is concerned, um, I don't have any particular issues with any of the network. I think they're all doing great work in their own way. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, yeah, so I don't, I don't have particularly much to say about that, but uh, yes, it's, I, it's disappointing to hear that young people are not engaging with it. I know occasionally I hear people say, oh, I get all my political news from you, Oh, that's alarming. Don't do that. (laughs) I need you to know the thing so you'll understand the references. Yeah, yeah. but I don't think I have a profound answer for what to uh, how we can 
how we can fix that problem. I, but I really want there to be an, infor- an informed electorate. That's really important to me. Yeah. So just before we wrap up, I'm going to throw out some wild speculations at you. There are a couple of big, potentially big roles um, floating about in the landscape at the moment. So I just thought I'd see weigh in with you and see if you would be open to any of those. Um, in particular, the Sydney Radio Breakfast on Today FM, um, they're kind of – Grant Denier is there, but they are kind of struggling with ratings and there are rumours that perhaps in 2020 we could be looking at some new hosts. Would you do breakfast radio? If you well, were to tweet about it <laughs> and get the tweet. call. Yes. Well, replacing Grant Denier is my whole business. <laughs> um, the, uh, I'll try anything, I suppose. I mean, I used to do, for about five weeks, I filled in on Radio Chaser mm. on Triple M. Uh, when uh, I think Chris Taylor was was away, and so that was my that's been my one sort of foray into um, into that. Uh, I think you know if you if you're paired with the right person um, uh, or people, then 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 sure. It's but I, I'd be lying if I said it was some sort of deep dream of mine to to do that. But I do um, like uh, you know the idea of maybe a house deposit. So uh, I. <laughs> Would would not? Uh, I'd certainly go in. For, I'd, be, I'd be happy to go in for an, an audition. I don't. I don't know if I'm the right person for that. I just can't see myself. I can't see myself in that role. I yeah. suppose. Well, so in a similar vein, morning TV gets a lot of conversation as well. Obviously, today struggling a little bit at the moment. Channel Ten always flirts with the idea of moving back into morning TV again. Mm-hmm. If you got that call, would you take a morning TV gig? Uh, if I could put my own spin on morning television, yes. Uh, if I could do all the advertorials as piss takes yes um yeah if i I, i'd like to i'm kind of interested in the idea of a morning show of really just like messing around with it and Mm. and it would take so it would take so much work though so that's the reality is that i probably would exhaust myself within a week uh or a day uh yeah no i'm kind of i am kind of weirdly intrigued by that but at the same time i don't want to be someone who has to know about everything and has to comment on on everything i just think that's a a, a horrible burden yeah for sure (laughs) all right well just so when we wrap up here what's next on your plate at the moment well, uh, I mean, and I say this knowing full well that things always fall through. And so you can do a follow up with me in six months and ask, oh, how did that go? Oh, no, that never happened. <laughs> so at, at the moment, I'm writing a scripted, obviously, if it's if I'm writing it it's scripted, writing a comedy podcast um, with my co-writer, Evan Williams, and also satirist Dan Illich. Uh, it is theoretically, if it everything continues on the path that it's currently on it will be available in november i can't say too much more about that but that is theoretically what's happening though at any moment the powers that be might go you know what we're good yeah uh and so there's that but i am i am doing it and then in that similar vein i'm writing a musical um had a idea musicals are my major passion and i think that's something that i would really like to move into more uh even just as an audience member uh and um like my evan my co-writer and um, clark richards a friend of ours who's an actor um uh, came up with this idea for a musical i then took it to someone and said oh is there something in this and they were like yeah i think so and so we're kind of on the start of that process and so if that happens that's right at the end of 2020 that that might appear on a stage but again like you know <laughs> everything falls through so um 
yeah, the reality for the moment is I'm, you know, I'm, I eat a lot of chicken satay. Um, I make pancakes. That's that's mainly what I'm doing at the moment. It sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Humphries, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me in this very noisy corner, Brittany and Hannah. Thank you. 